<clears throat> Good morning. Oh, that's loud. Good morning. It is wonderful to see all of you here. I'm grateful that you're here. I heard that thunderstorm this morning when I woke up, and I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Folks, we're continuing in James. Everybody turn to chapter 3 for me. We're just looking at this morning, we're looking at verses 13 through 18. I titled this sermon, Who is Wise? Question mark. Who is wise? James was saying the same thing. Um, of course, he had a reason for asking this question, and we're going to explore that together. But if you're in James 3, look at verse 13 with me. Let's start there. Who is wise? An understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly. It's unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, I think it's pretty cool throughout James's instruction, his teaching here, that we have sandwiched in between these two pieces of scriptural bread, if you will, this thing about wisdom. You know, James is continuing with the consistency, the theme of consistency in Christian wholeness as we grow, as we mature. He has discussed with his audience, and we know who the audience is. It's the church, right? They are living outside there in the, 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 the fringes there of Palestine. They're not near the temple. They're not near their homes. They're in a bad place. And we know that through this teaching. So he is discussing with his audience works. He's discussing with his audience relationship. He's discussing speech. These things that are external indicators that give evidence to faith in God. But the question is this. Are these external indicators matching up with one's professed faith in God? Are they matching up with one's professed submission to God? If you remember in the beginning of chapter 3, uh, James gives warning to those who wanted to become teachers. Remember he said there's stricter judgment. Not all of you should become teachers. And it's possible that he again is using this same language to communicate to those who are setting themselves up as wise, setting themselves up as understanding. He's reminding the believers about the true nature of wisdom and what this wisdom actually looks like. You know, we know that God gives generously. In James 1.5, we've read this before, fifth verse of the first chapter, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So church family, with all the things that we come to God for, are we including wisdom in our petition? Is wisdom talked about in your prayers? Just look at that question again, verse 13. I'm going to ask you, who is wise and understanding among you? Wow, I'm glad nobody raised their hand. 
I'm glad nobody raised their hand because James would have definitely called you out if I didn't. He would have had he been here. But James gives us an answer, doesn't he? He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I'm glad nobody raised their hand because that would have been um, uh, somebody that is identifying themselves in in self-promotion, right? In self-endorsement. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, Who was wise among you? Oh, that'd that'd be me. I am wise. My mom told me. I tell myself every day, I'm wise. You know, people go, I've authored a book. I've written books. I've, oh, I have multiple degrees. You should see the amount of followers I have. Do you have any idea who I know? Do you know I headline at a conference? I mean, there are all these visible standards that the world measures to say, oh, wow, that person is wise. But James, no. He shows us who is wise. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And this is what we have to dive into today. Good conduct. It's the pattern of your life. In other words, it's the way you live, your way of living, a commendable manner of living in which you live out in your life. Works. We know the works are the actions and deeds which give evidence of fruit. Now, folks, this can be bad fruit. You can give evidence of bad fruit. Your deeds can reveal that. They also can reveal good. And then, of course, we have meekness. I absolutely love this word. It also means humility. This is our understanding of the created order. We recognize our position in creation knowing that we do not deserve anything, any of the blessings that God has given or continually gives us. Right? This is submission to our Creator in everyday life, and it's, report, it's very important to remember something. Let me explain meekness to you. Meekness is power, it's strength, it's, it's our capabilities, capabilities, it's our function, but it's under control. James, when he talked about the power of the tongue, he used a horse. Remember the horse, the small bit, right? Like our tongue controls the whole body, the bit controls the horse. Here's the thing with the horse. They're beautiful animals, but they're huge, they're heavy, and they are extremely strong, extremely strong. Yet, all that power, the function, the capability of that horse can be under control. It can be under control. That is meekness for a Christian as they live out the application of God's Word in their life. So who is wise and understanding among you? Well, this describes a person who demonstrates their God-given insight. Remember that, God-given. Their God-given insight as they live out their everyday life, reflecting their submission to God and His Word. That, my friends, is who is wise. Wisdom is not something that we just pull off the shelf. I have talked to many people that say, yeah, I do use wisdom occasionally, and I got to admit, I was probably one of them. Like, I'm going to get married. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get some wisdom off here, and I want to figure out who I'm going to marry and how it's all going to play out. I need wisdom. Or it's time to buy a house. God, I am seeking wisdom right now. I'm going to be buying a house, and ooh, I want the best interest rate, and I want to make sure the bones are good. I'm buying a house. And then I actually had one person say, listen, I'm thinking about buying a new car, or maybe I'll fix up my old one. I don't know if I want to invest money in this when I could just put it in this. Right? I need wisdom. Folks, 
That's not how this works. This, right, the decisions in life, the choices we make, they're practical. They're practical. This is for everyday practical living. We don't pull God and his wisdom off the shelf for the big things. It is for everything. So the application of knowledge, the application of knowledge in everyday life, but which type, and here is the kicker, which type of wisdom are we utilizing? Because James gives us and describes two types. We have two types of wisdom. We have true wisdom, which comes down from above, and false wisdom, which is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Let's look at the nature of false wisdom real quick. He gives us a couple things here to describe that. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And these come right out of here, right out of our hearts. We are reminded of what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah said this in 17.9, Oh, the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can even understand it? This will deceive you. This has such a, it can be so sick. Who can understand this heart of ours? And James says, hey, don't boast about it. If that's what you're clinging to, don't boast about it. Boast about what, James? He's talking about false wisdom. Do not boast about false wisdom. It's counterfeit. It's not real. You know, we're going to see what false wisdom looks like as we go a little bit further into this. But it's not the wisdom that comes from above. And I like to use this illustration, uh, if you will, and I've used it with you before, uh, banking. Um, I've only seen once a counterfeit bill. Secret service was called out. I was at a store. Secret service was called out to collect the bill and investigate the person. It was crazy, crazy fun, but it was crazy because I'm glad it wasn't me. But I tell you, banking, the people, as I looked in, researched this, they don't study counterfeit bills. They don't look to see, oh, they did this and they did this. They don't study what's been done because counterfeiters are always scheming. It's always trying to make it more real and better. They're going to try to trick and deceive. You know what banking people do? They study the real thing. They study the actual bill, the real deal, so that they can identify the counterfeit. And as Christians, that is exactly what we should be doing when it comes to worldly wisdom versus godly. We have to know and study the real thing, or how will we ever identify the false, especially when we are living out the false? All right. Where did I go? There I am. Nope. I got so excited just now about that little story. You know what I mean? Oh, there it is. So what does this look like? Let's talk about bitter jealousy for a second. Bitter jealousy is one of the sicknesses of the heart. It is the desire to possess another status. Jealousy, we know it. Have we all been jealous? Absolutely. Don't tell me, Pastor, I've never been jealous in my life. We've all experienced jealousy. It's the desire to possess another status or their abilities or even their possessions. It can be resentment of another status, resentment over their position, right? It can be... um, uh, jealousy as far as like a threat and with somebody that's scared of losing something or some, uh, someone. That fear of loss can create this jealousy. But James does something here. James modifies jealousy with the word bitter. 
And I bet we have all experienced bitterness, even on receiving end or the giving end, bitterness. So bitterness is to feel resentment or hatred or anger towards a person. So bitter jealousy, or maybe your Bible says bitter envy, would be a person's desire for what another has with the addition of anger or hatred towards that person. It is a sickness. However, this is absolutely part of the world's wisdom. Selfish ambition. First, let me tell you, guys, ambition can be a good thing. Okay? Ambition can be a good thing. But in the context of James's writing, this is a sinful heart condition that is incompatible with true wisdom. It's incompatible. And this type of ambition has the element of pride. And we know that we've all experienced pride. We know what that looks like in our lives. And it can be very ugly. So the inner desire to promote oneself, this person is concerned with the personal. They don't care about others, and they definitely do not care about God. That's what it's like to have selfish Uh, Bitter jealousy and that selfish ambition. That's a sickness of the heart. So James states, and I I want to say this again, James states, do not boast about this false wisdom that you profess. Your works have exposed your sick heart. They've been exposed. Do not lie about this and be false to the truth. We can see it. It's visible. We can feel it, especially when you've targeted a person. That person feels that type of prideful jealousy and ambition, the sickness of the heart. Don't lie about it. You know, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition at their core are expressions of the earthly, the unspiritual, and the demonic. By no means are they the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. No means. James once again reminds you and I that self-deception is real. I've said this, and I'm going to probably say it a hundred more times. As we mature and grow in this wonderful book, which is the point of it, Christian wholeness, maturity, he reminds us constantly that self-deception is so real. And we know it's real because here's where it lies. This is what deceives us. And we can easily be tricked. We can easily fall prey into worldly thinking and wisdom as we apply that to our lives instead of the biblical wisdom. So, all of us are in danger. We are all in danger. And you may be thinking, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, you cannot hide a sick or wicked heart. It cannot be contained. It will express itself in disorder, and it will express itself in every vile practice. I know that you will stand with me on this one. All the things that we're exposed to, all that's reported, look at the technology we have today. We can get reports from all around the world like that, and we get them online, on the radio, on our cell phones, on the news, on TV, you name it. We get these reports. We are exposed to this. Folks, you can search for anything on the internet. You can search for any of your desires You can search for any vile practice. It's there. It's there for us. What is your desire? What vile practice would you like to search for today? It's waiting for us. 
And we are told that the origin, right, of these things stem from the earthly. Folks, that's man-made. That's man-generated of the world. That's earthly. And then the Bible says unspiritual, which means sensual of the flesh, man's nature. Don't we combat our nature every day? Man's nature. And then James goes to demonic. Satan has been at work since the creation story in Genesis. Since he deceived Eve throughout the entirety of the Bible to present day, he has been at work with his lies and with his wisdom that prey upon man. What does his wisdom do? Well, it causes confusion, right? It causes distance. We see that. And it confounds man. If you've ever talked to someone who looked at you and said, you're a Christian, you believe that book with all those other books? What kind of idiot are you? You're a fool. They don't understand it. Yeah, it's foolishness to them, and we look like fools. Why? Because it confounds man. It confounds them. Especially when it comes to true godly wisdom. It's too far away. It's a myth. It's a legend. It's something just for hope for people that are weak-spirited. Weak in the heart. They need this for hope. And they are deceived. They are deceived. They've bought into the lie. But these are our three enemies. We can fall prey to any one of these, by the way. That's why we are in danger. Every believer is in danger of their heart becoming sick to the point that in their life they experience vile practices. They experience disorder. This why is excuse me. This is why it's so important for one to know true wisdom. Without it, we will conform. Did you get that? Without it, we will conform. We will blend in. And we're blending in to worldly. We're blending it. God, you're way over here. I'm blending in over here. And this is false. It's earthly. It's unspiritual and demonic. And this is why I want to go back to the whole banking thing. We have to know the real thing to identify the counterfeit because the devil is going to do everything within his power to slip into your life, deceive you, just like he did Eve. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? I think this is what he meant, Eve. These are the things that happen to us. And it's not on occasion. Folks, this is daily. We have to study the real to identify the counterfeit. Let's talk about the nature of true wisdom. Everybody look at verse 17 with me. Look at these words. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. These awesome characteristics describe the wisdom that comes from above. This is what we identify as true wisdom. Look at this, though. What a contrast from what we have learned this morning about false wisdom. Look at the contrast. It can be clearly seen as James identifies someone's mindset, as he identifies somebody's attitude, as he identifies the behavior during times of difficulty. Looking back to the beginning of the book, we can see James teaches some wonderful things. He teaches what? About dealing with testing and trials, um, being doers of the word, not hearers only. Uh, what true religion looks like, what true religion looks like. Uh, The royal law, right, loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you remember, we talked about partiality versus impartiality. 
loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, works as evidence of faith over dead works. He taught us that. And he taught us about the dangers and the powers of the tongue. Now, look at all this beautiful instruction that we've received. We will need true and godly wisdom if we are to respond correctly to this instruction. We will need that. As you can see, the things of false wisdom will not allow you to correctly respond. They won't allow it. False wisdom will take you down another path completely. So, if true wisdom is biblical knowledge that is applied to our daily living, this knowledge of God produces meekness. Meekness, again, that strength that is bridled, that power that kept, is kept in check, which is a practical mercy, folks. It's a practical mercy that we show to others when we're able to live like that. It helps a person exercise restraint. It keeps them from exerting some type of self-manufactured authority or power over another, especially when it dishonors Christ. However, if one chooses to operate, if they choose to operate under the behaviors and attitudes of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, well, meekness goes out the door. Poof, gone. There is no meekness. Those behaviors, they leave no room for it. They leave no room for restraint. They leave no room for mercy or showing good to another. And here is the scary part to this. We're, there are believers who cling to false wisdom. Sometimes they don't even know it. But they cling to false wisdom. They attempt to justify themselves thinking that their actions are somehow vindicated by God's Word. And this, again, is why we have to study and know the real over the counterfeit. Again, we are reminded of what James says. Do not boast about it. Do not boast falsely. These behaviors, this self-righteousness, this agenda, these motives, they are all contrary to doing good unto others. They and this, excuse me, this is their contrary to the wisdom of God, which he gives so freely. We know in the beginning he said, I will give if you ask for it. He gives it freely. Yet, these ways of living, these particular characteristics, they are contrary. I think, I think that we should all memorize verse 17. So when we encounter a tough, uncomfortable, or confrontational situation. When we are struggling with people, right, and difficult personalities, when we have to face anything or anyone that would tempt us to utilize the wisdom of this world in our daily dealings, I think we should look to this verse. It starts like this, right? But the wisdom from above is, and then it goes boom, boom, boom. It gives us all these wonderful characteristics, all these wonderful fruits, so I'm walking down the hall like, oh, yep, I'm going to have to deal with this person. Here we go. But the, but the wisdom from above is, and then I could say every word or I could just grab one. Mark, you need to be full of mercy. Because the wisdom from above is full of mercy. You be full of mercy. I'm in a bad situation. Okay, we got to figure this thing out. Mark, but the wisdom from above is peaceable. We need to cling to this verse. This is something that can be prayed. This is something that you can say as you're entering a tough situation. 
Because these are what we are to live out in our life. This is all part of true wisdom. We need to be locked and loaded. We need to be at the ready. Instead of getting ready to fight or just spill fire from your mouth, but the wisdom from above is. This is what James wants for those out there that are struggling with this. His audience. This is what I want for myself. This is what I want for you. For us to be aware and at the ready but the wisdom from above is. Now, one of the fruits of a wise person, and you saw in that verse, is peaceable. I'd like to come back to peace in a second. You know, every life, whether it's believing or non-believing, um, is a life that sows and reaps. I think we can agree with that. And there is a huge difference in what is man-made and what is God-given when it comes to what we sow. What we sow determines, though, it determines this, what we reap, doesn't it? That's an easy statement for you to agree with. What we sow determines what we reap. So what we sow reveals how we are living. You can't hide it. What we sow reveals how we are living. So, verse 18 says that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. It's sown in peace. The crop that we planted is yielding a harvest of righteousness. Now, this righteousness is the result of God's work in our hearts. Man's wisdom, it will lead you, but it will lead you to jealousy, selfish ambition, vengeance, rivalry. It'll lead you to competition. It'll lead you to war. And we're looking at the negative things of every single one of those. That's where man's wisdom will lead you. These are the things that the world is sowing, and these are the things that the world is reaping. Folks, remember what I told you. You can turn on the news. You can go online. Do you get that this world is sowing disorder and vile practice? Therefore, it is reaping disorder and vile practice. As a Christian, we have to stop that. That's a vicious circle. We have to stop that, and it starts in our lives, our personal walk with Christ. God's work in the heart of man leads to peace. It leads to peace. The origin of this peace is based solely on the holiness of God. This comes down from Him. So when God's wisdom is at work in your life, Here's what happens. You will experience the humility and submission that the Bible talks about. You will experience this humility and this submission that the Bible talks about. And you will want to give him all the glory. Not me, not you. This in turn gives God all the glory. When you are living and walking in true wisdom, it does not come about, it's not about you or me anymore. That's out the window. It's all about God and who he is. And we give him all the glory because of that wisdom that we are living out. That is that submission. Now, to live in God's peace, right? That's what we should all be striving for. Because when we live in peace, the Bible tells us we sow in peace. And the results? A harvest of righteousness. And this righteousness, folks, the reason that we can lay claim to what God is giving us, because he's exchanged his righteousness, righteousness for our filth, the reason we can lay claim to that 
is because of Jesus Christ, because of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is why we get to lay claim to his righteousness. Jesus Christ is the reason that you and I can be covered in his righteousness. He is the reason that you and I can live in godly peace. He is the reason that you and I can live out our lives in godly wisdom. He is the reason. I, you know, the greatest teacher that ever walked this earth, Jesus Christ, I love what he says in Matthew 12, 33 and 35. I'm going to read it, then I want to talk about it real quick. Matthew 12, 33 through 35, he says, either make the good tree and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil. Let's talk about the simplicity and directness of this Scripture. You can either be good or bad. You have a good tree with good fruit. You have a bad tree with bad fruit. Both trees are identified by their fruit. We got good and bad. They're identifiable. How can you speak good? How can you live good? How can your conduct be good when you're evil? You can't. You can't. The good person, right, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. What is this good treasure? What is this good treasure? You know, if you want to be known by good fruit, then you have to allow true and godly wisdom to be the roadmap for your life. You can't get to that place here. You can't. Jesus spelled it out for us. It's good and it's bad. There's no gray area here. So Colossians 2.3 says, it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, our treasure is Jesus Christ. He is our treasure. And out of that good treasure, guess what I get to bring forth? Good. My fruits are good. I'm identified as good. But I can only live this out with true wisdom. This is where our journey begins. This is where it be, Proverbs 9.10, you know this verse, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Our treasure, Jesus Christ, that's where it begins. But folks, to live this life identified as a good tree which bears good fruit you have got to have the application of true and godly wisdom every day of your life. Not in certain times, but every day. Humanity. Let's talk about humanity. The world has turned away from God. I think we could all agree with that statement. Man has turned away from true wisdom. His wisdom. While worldly knowledge may increase, while worldly knowledge may increase, True wisdom does not for the world. It does not. There is no fear of the Lord in the world. So you can't get to here if your foot's camped out over here. There is no fear. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, the world is never going to identify you as wise. 
because worldly wisdom always seeks to define wisdom by visible standards. Did you, have you seen what this guy's done? He's wise. That guy, did you see what he experienced? Oh, he is wise. They need visible standards. You heard me say it earlier about books and conferences and followers. That's not what identifies. That's self-promoting. That's self-endorsement. That is the exaltation of oneself, which the world loves. They love to exalt themselves. But for the person who is pursuing divine and true wisdom, while the results may be visible, right? The fruit, the results may be visible. This kind of wisdom is performed in attitude and in humility, right? And heart, exalting God and God alone because they understand the blessings they receive and what they don't deserve. They understand the created order. They understand submission. They understand meekness because this is all part of true wisdom. So who is wise and who is understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Again, I want to say this. It describes a person who demonstrates that their God-given insight is directing their life. It's demonstrated as how they live every day with the decisions and choices and interactions, conversations. It reflects their submission, the way they live. It reflects their submission to God and his word. It's easy to spot somebody that's wise for a Christian because we get to see these things lived out. Folks, godly wisdom enables us. It prepares us for eternity, right? Godly wisdom, uh, it prepares and enables us to put off the worldly and take on the biblical, right? It prepares us and enables us to understand we're citizens of God's kingdom, not this kingdom, And it reflects in our decisions and our choices that we make daily. Godly wisdom enables us to see life from God's perspective and live accordingly. You can't do it when you're a bad tree producing bad fruit, right? Pulling from evil treasure, therefore bringing forth evil, bringing forth bad. If we want that good tree that good fruit. We want to be that good person, right? With that good treasure. We want to bring forth good. We want to be and share and live like God's called us, especially how we treat each other. We have got to embrace world, excuse me, godly wisdom over worldly. We can't keep blending them and we can't keep going with the world. That's not how we get to being the good tree. So my challenge for you this week is this, to be observational, to be observant. I've done it every night this week. Let me tell you, I've lived my day, and then at night I've been taking stock of all my interactions, conversations, texts, emails, calls. I've been very diligent in being observant of how I have treated others and how I have been treated and how I responded. I've been very diligent in remembering the different situations, whether it was wife, kids, church, business, I have been diligent in trying to be observational and taking stock at night. And I will tell you, I did really well. I did really well with some things. But some others I did not. Oh, I did God. I was godly wisdom. Was, oh, in that conversation, it was godly wisdom. But this situation, yeah, I went worldly. We have got to learn to be observant and strong in the faith 
And what I mean by that is to grow in our faith, right, to grow in our maturity, we have to continue to practice the good. We have to continue to practice the application of biblical knowledge in our lives. And that's why James has sandwiched this. All this wonderful instruction is great. We hear it, we learn it, we want to apply it, but you cannot apply it with worldly wisdom. It has to be true godly wisdom. And that's where we're at. That's what I want for myself desperately, and it's what I want for you. This is how we walk as a Christian. This is how we live out our lives. This is how we demonstrate and reflect our submission to God and His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are always grateful, Lord, for your message. Always grateful. Father, you teach us and you instruct us, Father, and you love us and you continually forgive us and you continue to show us grace, Father, because we mess up constantly and we know, Lord, the two wisdoms here that we live both. Lord, we mess up bad, but your grace continues to flow, Father. Your forgiveness is there. My prayer, Lord, for every heart here, my prayer is that we begin to become observant of every nook and cranny, of every twist and turn in daily living, Lord, and apply biblical knowledge to that living. Father, it's easy to apply worldly. It's easy to go earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's right there. It's waiting for us. Father, the the struggle The job that's before us, the task before us, Lord, is to embrace your wisdom in our lives. And that's what we're praying for. We want to live out everything that's taught. Lord, we want to produce good fruit. We know the good treasure we possess because of you. Father, help us live out the life in submission to you. Because it's not about us and it's not about our glory. We were created to glorify you. We were created to glorify you, to exalt you, and you deserve all of it. Father, take us out of the worldly and put us into true wisdom. That's my prayer for everyone, Lord. I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. We love you. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.